You're listening to Thrive, where every week we have meaningful conversations with incredible women like you, packed with practical tips and sisterly advice to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday gal who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. I'm your host, Erica Gwynn, and I'm ready to thrive together. Here's today's episode. Hey friends, welcome back to Thrive and welcome back to a very exciting episode all about friendship and the Enneagram. There may be no greater feeling in friendship than someone just seeing you for exactly who you are and loving you in that place as that person, right? They honor your highs, they lift your lows, somehow seem to know just the right thing to do or say in the moment, and that's why they're your best friend, right? But today on Thrive, we are kicking even the best of friendships up a notch. Sarah Jane Case, better known as Enneagram and Coffee on Instagram, is here to break down each Enneagram type, specifically as it relates to friendships and relationships with other people, so that you can show up as a better friend and feel that friendship in return. She's giving specific advice on how to show up stronger without letting our own expectations or limits become a roadblock in relationships. And she's sharing what each type really needs at its core to feel most loved. Bonus, Sarah Jane also shares the one thing each Enneagram type can do today to, you guessed it, really thrive. Stay tuned through this episode, drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to, and now welcome Sarah Jane. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Yay, I am so stoked you're here. I think some of our most our most popular past episodes on Thrive have been about the Enneagram, which is so fun because I think it's just so cool to continuously learn more about yourself, discover these like deeper pieces and really dive into knowing what makes you you. And I know the first time I learned about the Enneagram, I I think I I thought my soul was being read. I was like, goodness gracious, this is alarming. <laughs> it was so spot on. Uh, it like really hits the nail on the head. So I think it's just so fun to chat about. And we are so stoked you're here because you are like the go-to gal and Instagram expert on the Enneagram. So welcome. Super happy to have you. Yeah, I'm so excited. I can't, I'm, I'm happy to hear people are still interested in the Enneagram in there. Yeah. Seeking you out for it. That's awesome. Well, I feel it's cool when people can extend it beyond just here's a personality type, because I feel like a lot of the different quizzes and stuff feel like that, where you're just, all right, let's take like a Buzzfeed quiz and learn more about ourselves. And it's, it's so much more than like, which Harry Potter house are you, are you, you know, like, um, it just, it really has so many extension points, which is what's super cool. And obviously what we'll talk about today, but before hopping too far into that, I want to make sure we introduce you thoroughly to all of the people because you do so many things with this. You're the author of The Honest Enneagram and most recently The Enneagram Letters, which are incredible. And then you're also the host of The Enneagram and Coffee podcast, all the Enneagram things. But can you give us the lowdown on you and kind of like beyond the Enneagram too? Like just what are you loving in life lately and who are you beyond beyond being the Enneagram girl 
on Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah, I well, and the Enneagram will talk about like your type and then where you move in rest or stress. And so if you had asked me this question five years ago, I would be, I'm such a seven, like I'm very much an Enneagram seven. I would be like, I'm always out. I'm always doing stuff and like have all of these projects going. But now I'm like, I'm deep in my five, which is like very internal, very like intellectual. And I'm like, well, I hang out with these birds that visit the bird feeder at my house. (laughs) So I, outside of the Enneagram, you know, my work is a lot of what I do. It's one of the greatest joys in my life. And then I'm a stepmom. I have a loving husband, but I also just hang out with these birds that I named Fran and Irv and um, write in my journal and read really good books. You know what? That's a solid life right there. I think so. I'm into it right now. It's, it's a good season. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Okay. So you said you're a seven. Is that like, is that your own Enneagram type to a yeah, T right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Amazing. So can you, we won't go too far into this because we're assuming everyone in the room here at least knows what the Enneagram is from past episodes. If not, we'll link them in the show notes below too, because we have a couple of past episodes. I'm just kind of like, what is the Enneagram? Um, how to know your own type. Um, but I feel like it would be really fun. Can we hop in and you give a run through of one thing you would recommend each type do today to thrive, given that this is the Thrive Podcast? Maybe not like right this very second while we're all like hanging out together on the podcast, but today at some point, like the thing that you're like, this is what you should do to feed your soul and really thrive today. Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, So type ones, our type ones can struggle with black and white thinking and perfection, a fear of being bad. Um, And so what I would recommend is that you write a list of things that you're holding too tightly onto um, that you feel like they have to be done this perfect way. And then ask yourself where you can slack on it a little bit and give yourself permission to be imperfect. Um, For type twos are helpers who tend to struggle with boundaries, fear of being selfish. I would encourage you to take yourself on the exact date that you wish someone else would take you on. So that date you're hoping someone will take you on, give it to yourself. For type three, the achiever, the ones who fear failure, um, who fear like kind of stagnation, I would encourage you to determine how you want to feel today. And set your objectives based off of that instead of what you need to accomplish. For our type fours, our individualists, our feelers, uh, for you, I would say take one step in the direction of the thing that you're afraid of being average at. So if there's something that you feel like, I really want to do this thing, but what if I'm just like kind of mediocre at it? Just do one step. Be a little bit bad at it. Try to be bad at it even. For type fives, the investigator. For you, I would say reach out to someone that you wish you had a connection to, but maybe you're afraid to reach out for some reason. Maybe you're afraid of expending too much energy. Maybe you're afraid that it's been too long. Just send them a little note, a little text. Type six, uh, for those, those are our loyalists. They fear letting people down. They want to be supported. I would say for you, and they have like a tendency toward worst case scenario thinking. So for you, I would say the thing that you would really like to do, 
that you are not doing because you're afraid of the risk, really write it out. What would happen? Like, what is the thing that would happen? What is the absolute worst case scenario? And then check what would be the plan B, plan C, plan D that would happen before that ever occurred. And then give yourself permission to step in that direction. For our type sevens, um, you know, our type sevens, we're enthusiasts. We want to be satisfied. We don't want to be limited. We want to be free. I would say for you, consider the thing that you're trying to commit to right now that you're afraid you might give up on a little too soon and give yourself a commitment deadline. Say, I'm going to commit to this thing until X date. That can be two weeks from now, three months from now, three years from now, but I'm going to commit and really go all in a hundred percent until that date, no matter what negative feelings arise, no matter what occurs, I'm committed. And then I'll reevaluate on that date when I'm not running away, but running towards something else. And then we have type eight. Type eights are our challengers. They're bold. They're powerful leaders. They tend to overextend themselves in this like sense of like, I can't be limited. I don't have limitations. They also are like pretty conflict forward. Um, for our type eights, I would say do yoga today. Um, take time to listen to your body, to get in touch with your breath, to honor your limitations and just kind of spend that time on the mat. Type nines are our peacemakers. These types value connection. They fear loss of connection. They play the mediator. They prioritize their own peace of mind. For these types, I would say that thing that you've always said you would do, but you're afraid will stress you out if you actually do it. Or maybe you're saying the phrase, oh, I really want to learn how to do that, but I don't know where to even start ask a friend to sit down with you and break that down into bite-sized steps. What's step one, step two, step three, all the way to the end and just take step one today. Okay. So my husband is an eight. So I guess when he's coming home from work, I'm putting out the yoga mat for him and then I'm a three. So now I need to get in touch with my feelings while my husband is yoga. So this is going to be a really <laughs> fun evening in our household. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like a very vulnerable day at home. I don't know what he would do if I was like, babe, guess what? Like, this is what you have to do when you come home. Um, he very well might challenge it, which would probably <laughs> yeah. be, you know, really predictable. Yeah. Imagine I love that. Uh, no one tells me what to do. <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> Um, that's, that's great. Um, I also, I want to break it down to talking about friendship in particular and how people relate to each other. Once you do know the Enneagram, because I feel like it's such a powerful tool for learning about yourself. But then if you just stop there, I feel like there's so much potential there that can be missed. And I'm always trying to think like, okay, well, how do we apply this to how we're relating like to our spouse or to our partners or to our, our girlfriends or whoever. So can you break down kind of what you might need most in friendships based on your own Enneagram type, but then also kind of like where we might be able to figure out how to personally grow a little bit more based on your Enneagram type, since obviously there's kind of like some pros and cons here for every, for every type and really just how to show up as the best possible friend 
based on your girlfriend's Enneagram types too, and how to kind of pinpoint those without necessarily walking around saying like, Hey, what's your Enneagram? (laughs) Yeah. So I think the easiest way to start would be, you know, I think oftentimes in relationships, we're limiting our relationships to what we expect of ourselves. We expect that of other people. And then what we limit in ourselves, we limit in other people. So oftentimes we're approaching relationships with this preconceived idea of like, this is what we're supposed to do, even though there's nine different versions of that and we're interacting with them in a given day. And then we're like disappointed by people when they don't show up with that expectation. Simultaneously, right, we're limiting in ourselves things that we need while limiting that in others and saying like, hey, you're doing that too much. Um so I'm happy to go through the types and kind of talk about what we expect from people and then what we limit in ourselves and others. Would that feel good? Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so type ones, they expect impeccable integrity. So they're expecting that of themselves and they're expecting that of others. Then we have, um, they limit in themselves frivolity. So pleasure, frivolity, doing something that just feels good for the heck of it. They limit in themselves and they limit in others. So we'll just use them as an example to kind of talk this out so that when we go through the others, we have context. So if I'm a type one and I'm approaching you with the expectation that you have impeccable integrity and then you show up maybe as a six and you're like, that's not my, that's not my bag. That's not what I'm worried about. You don't expect that of yourself. And you kind of are more, maybe a two and you're more people pleasing. You expect yourself to please people. So maybe that can look out of integrity sometimes because you have different standards. Well, then it can be really disappointing for the one, right? Like, oh, you're not showing up like a hundred percent honest all the time. And the two is like, well, you're not showing up for me every time that I need you to. And so then those two value sets actually conflict and they're not. In, so we expect the wrong things from each other simultaneously, right? If we're limiting ourselves frivolity, then a seven who is like, I'm playful, I'm light, I want to have fun, seems really irresponsible. And so we can kind of reject their nature, right? So in time, at the same time, we need to lower the expectations that we have for ourselves, right? Like if I expect myself to be perfectly in integrity or as a seven, if I expect myself to be happy all the time, that's unreasonable. So we have to like lower that expectation while uh, opening up our limitations and saying, I'm actually allowed to be more than just this number. So type ones are like, they're allowed to be more, they're allowed to be frivolous. They're allowed to be pleasure forward. And so in letting, as we expand our limitations, we can allow room for people to influence us. And I think love in a major way is letting people change you, letting people impact you. So that's kind of the framework, but I'll go more quickly through the other types. So type twos expect selflessness and they limit in themselves selfishness, right? So they expect other people to come to them, anticipating their needs and putting their own needs to the side. Type threes expect a drive from themselves and others. So um, don't stagnate, don't let yourself kind of stop and get fail, then they limit in themselves access to their true feelings in favor of the goal. And 
this impacts relationships because they hold other people to those standards as well. And so people can really disappoint you if they're not inspiring you. Um, type four, so type fours limit in themselves being average or mundane, and they expect of themselves to be special or significant and authentic. Then we have type five, which is the investigator. This type, they expect of themselves to be fully informed and they limit in themselves lack of information, but they also limit connection through fear of being overwhelmed. Then we have type six. Type six, they expect of themselves to be perfectly loyal, to never let other people down. They also limit in themselves risk and I want to say selfishness, but not in the same way as two. Like it's like stepping out of loyalty. And then we have seven. They uh, expect of themselves to be happy and satisfied all the time. And they limit in themselves uh, the depth that comes with commitment. Um, so they can limit access to deeper emotions, deeper information, deeper connection, because they're kind of bopping around from like thing to thing, person to person. And then we have type eight. They expect of others strength and they limit in themselves weakness. And then we have type nine, our peacemaker. They expect of themselves to be easy to get along with and they limit in themselves their anger and their ability to express strong, powerful opinions. Okay, so with all of this in mind then, do you think Enneagram types are pretty much set in stone or do you think that we evolve in them in some way? Because we we know that, okay, you can show up as different. You can show up like your wing can present more or you can show up differently if you're healthy versus not and all of all of this, which is like crazy cool and also confusing all at the same time. <laughs> but in, especially in a case of relationships, like if you're in a long-term relationship or a long-term friendship with somebody, should you expect to see this sort of like evolution of how you are catering to that other person based on their Enneagram, if that makes sense? <laughs> Yeah. So I would say, you know, your core type likely will stay the same for the rest of your life. You'll have some relationship to it forever. That being said, as we grow, um, I think this is where the Enneagram is really, really cool is because it's alive, right? So as we grow, we stop looking so much like our type. It's less obvious. And we start looking more like a variety of types. So a lot of people who've done a lot of personal growth work when they come to the Enneagram have a hard time typing because they're not so easy to pin down because they've done a lot of expansion. And so ideally, right, in, in the growth journey of our lives, we'll get to a place where we can access the part of us that is every type and use it at the right time in the right place. So when I need to fight oppression, tapping into the part of me that's an eight is a huge asset, right? But if I bring that eight energy that we all have, we all have some part of us that's an eight. If I bring that eight energy into a conversation that's extremely delicate and needs to be mended and tended to, it's not going to serve me as well as fighting an oppressor, right? So um, getting to choose how we show up is the ultimate goal. 
will any of us ever reach this like perfect destination where we're like fully evolved and have balanced out all of our types? No, I don't think so. I think likely for the rest of our lives, we will be in conversation with this like part of us that wants to arise, rise up and like cope in the way that we've always coped. That feels the most natural, the most easy. And we just get to like talk it back down and bring us back to center and go, I see you. I see you're trying to protect me. And we're just going to come back down. Um, that being said, the Enneagram is alive, right? Like there's so much movement in the system. So I'll just touch on a little bit of what that can look like. There's levels of health. So within your type, there's low levels of health to high levels of health. And those are all going to be on a gradient. And then you have two wings. We all have access to both of our wings, but typically we lean into one more than the other. It's a really fun growth exercise to play with strengthening your wings because typically we need the, the strengths of either side of us. So that's a whole other conversation. But then we have the lines on the symbol that move from into your type. Those are the lines of stress and rest. So when you're stressed out, you typically will show up looking like a different type. And when you feel safe and at ease, you show up looking like another type. The cool thing about that is it can be very actionable that you're likely to stress yourself out if you try to act like the type on your stress line, but you can also prevent stress by proactively using the skills of that stress line. So I'll use seven as an example. We are um, free birds. We like to just putter around and be free and not be limited. And one's the number that we go to in stress. They like a lot of routine, a lot of rigidity. They tend to be moderate in everything they do. And so using moderation and using routine helps my like little seven self not get stressed out. Right. But if I get into that perfectionistic mindset, it will be stressful for me. Then yeah, we move down to our rest number, or we can use that number intentionally to increase the level of rest that we're able to experience. That's wild. So then what is your, what is your rest number for being a seven? So it's five. So fives um, are amazing at moderating their energy. They have impeccable boundaries. They're very good at saying no. They also <laughs> um, go deep into one subject instead of spreading themselves thin over, over the course of like a seven, like 10, 20 different interests. Mm -hmm. So then once you know this about your girlfriends, for example, what would you recommend? It, it, it reminds me of like the love languages from back in the day in terms of figuring out, okay, not just knowing what you yourself need and providing that in a given moment, but really being able to cater to the other person and where they are at. So walk us through kind of like the love languages of the Enneagram for friendship, basically. Like if, if you are looking to show up as the best possible friend and you know that your girlfriend, one girlfriend is a one, one's a four, one's whatever. Are there little tips or tricks for kind of catering to each so that you can kind of sing to her Enneagram type in her soul and really show up as like a good friend based on your Enneagram? Because I feel like that's kind of a cool way to think about it that is a little bit different than the love languages we hear about all the time. Yeah. So I think a good way to that I could phrase this is how do I manage offering support to this type? So, um, 
with type ones, it's not just doing what they need you to do, but doing it how they would do it because Mm -hmm. they're going to have a hard time releasing if they're afraid that you're not going to do it the way that they would do it. They might as well just do it themselves. So if you want to offer support, don't offer support to a one and then do it the way you would do it because it's not actually helping them. If you really want to help them, ask them how they would do it and do it that way. That's loving them. Um, For type twos, pay attention to the things they've done recently to make you feel special and replicate it because they are often, they're like the ones who, if they're thirsty, will fill up your water glass and hope that you get the hint. Um, Long-term, hopefully our twos learn to ask for what they need, say no when they don't, aren't able to give. But in the meantime, pay attention to what they're doing for you and give that, that energy in return. Um, for type threes, every single type three needs at least one friend where they can be completely unguarded, completely raw and messy and like expressing their, like their failures, their concerns, their fears. Um, if you can be that space for a three, I think that's one of the greatest gifts they will ever receive in their life um, in terms of like their ability to grow. In order to do that, you have to be extremely non-judgmental. And I don't mean this when they express it to you. I mean, don't talk about other people's failures to the three, because what they're going to hear is that they can't be vulnerable with you. So you need to be careful to talk to your threes about, like, talk about other people in positive ways to the three so that they know they can come to you vulnerably. Um, And then we have type four. So if you want to love a type four, you know, I think it's really about, they're often telling really specific stories about themselves and who they are, especially when they're in a the pits of despair. <laughs> like they're having like a sad moment. They're they're having what we call like a minty bee, right? Um, they're having that moment. They talk about themselves in these like really specific ways that are negative and as if they're fact. And what we have to do is hear the story, hear the emotion without validating the story. Because what's tempting is we'll want to argue the story. They'll say, I'm a terrible writer. And you want to say, no, you're not. You're not a bad writer. But what they're going to hear is that you're invalidating them and you're not hearing their feelings. So instead, you don't have to validate the story, but you can say, well, I hear you saying that you feel like a terrible writer. I hear you saying that you fear that you can't write, you know, kind of validate the feeling without honoring the story. Um, Type five, Uh, you know, our type fives need this like really delicate balance of persistence in reaching out without it feeling invasive. So fives often, they kind of go off and do their own thing. They're in their own world. And sometimes they lose sight of, of how much they've isolated themselves. And then they need support, but they don't know how to reach out for it. And so they kind of, a lot of fives end up in marriages, even with twos, because twos are the most persistent and like the most like pursuing of, of a person they're interested in. So if you have a friend who's a five, don't take it personally when they step away or when they don't reach out, it's not about you. It's a hundred percent their own stuff. Don't like, don't get your feelings hurt by it, but two, reach out to them lightly, like no expectations, just kind of, Hey, thinking about you. Hey, need anything, you know, just be very light touch. 
um, that will make them feel safe to come to you because it won't feel like they're going to be taken from in that process. Type six, they have to work a lot on self-trust. And so they tend to come to everyone in their lives for advice or a lot of people for advice. They have like a council. And so if you're on their council, they come to you for advice often, just point them back to themselves. Just say, okay, yeah, I hear, I hear your question. What do you think you should do? What, you know, I think, you know, it's best. I've had sixes tell me that they go to their families for job advice, even though no one in their family is in their industry and they've been in their industry for 10, 15 years. They're the expert, but they're going to like their mom and being like, mom, what do you think I should do? And mom's, you know, mom doesn't know. So if you're, if you're that counsel person, just kind of say, you're the expert, like point them back to themselves. Um, and then type sevens, if you're a friend to a type seven, I would say, okay, there's like a, a light answer and a deep answer. So my light answer is like, if they come to you with a sadness, like go, you know, go do something fun with them, like go to a movie, go somewhere private where you can just, or go somewhere and do something entertaining. But like the deep answer, I think that's like my seven in me who's like, just have fun with us. The deep answer is make sure they know they can always show up as they are, that you love them when they're sad, that they're not a bummer, that being around them when they're sad is actually kind of a joy for you because it reminds you that they're human. Like just reiterate that their sadness is not a problem for you because a lot of times sevens play this character of everything is fine. I'm good. The last thing you need to worry about is me because they don't want to be a burden. They don't want to be a bummer. And that's actually an, like sevens have a hard time admitting this, but it's actually a deeply rooted insecurity, right? That they are bad or a bummer if they bring their sadness into a room. So just re I've had so many friends who have like instilled in me, Oh, come as you are. That's my favorite version of you. I love that sad Sarah Jane. And it just makes you feel really safe. Um, type eight, this one is counterintuitive, but if they need support, you have to power up and bully them around a little, like <laughs> you have to be stronger than them. And that's kind of hard to do with an eight. But if you, if you strengthen when they need to be soft, you show them that someone else is in charge and therefore they don't have to be. Because eights, they're scanning for leadership in every scenario. And if there's not someone who's stronger than them, they will be the strength. But if there's someone who can be stronger, then they can soften. So if you power up when they ins and insist on them taking care of themselves, on them resting, on them doing yoga, <laughs> you know, if you power up and are strong, then they can power down. And then for our type nines, I think the greatest gift you can give a type nine is uninterrupted time to talk. So if you ask them open-ended questions, do not ask a nine a yes or no question because they will just say yes or no. Like they're not going to interject. They're not going to expand unless they already feel super safe with you. Like don't ask a yes or no question. Ask open-ended questions and then wait three seconds after they finish talking before you say anything because they likely have more to say. And they value more than anything, being heard, being told that their opinions matter, being seen for who they really are. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this is 100% applicable and not just friendships, but any sort of 
relationship dynamic because Mm -hmm. it's such good insight as to who you are as a person. I also feel like now petition for girlfriends to all just like have Enneagram parties together where anyone who does not know their Enneagram can know it. And then you can all be on the same page with like in your friend group, who is what type so that you can have a little running list of like, here's everybody's type. Here's what they need. And here's how to cater to them in, in sickness or health till death do us part. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie on my bachelorette party. I literally made everyone take the Enneagram. That like, we're going to sit down and we're going to take the Enneagram. Cause I get to tell you today is my day. Yeah. That makes sense. And then were you also like, and this is now what you should, how you should treat me <laughs> based on, based on it, because that, oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a solid idea. My bachelorette party is just a workshop on the Enneagram. <laughs> Everyone's like, this, this makes sense. <laughs> I love it. Can you toot your own horn also for the Enneagram letters? Because how beautiful I, they're written for anyone who does not know they're written as nine chapters each addressing a specific feeling or fear that is deep in the soul for each Enneagram type, which you kind of hinted at here with talking about, okay, what people need at their core in a relationship standpoint. Um, So this kind of, this kind of fits right in with that in terms of, you know, really like addressing the deepest, the deepest, darkest feeling that everyone might have (laughs) based on your type. Yeah. Um, thank you. And yeah, the Enneagram letters was a really cool opportunity for me as well, because I wanted to explore the part in each of us that relates to those types. So that sense that we have all of the numbers in us, like we of course have one that leads, but we all carry those pressures. Like, and I think the goal through, I wrote it through personal essays and poetry is to kind of show you, this is how I'm carrying all the nine types. Um, and it can hopefully make that personal element feel universal to you so that you can see, oh, I'm also carrying these pressures, maybe not in the same ways and maybe not triggered by the same things, but we're all carrying a lot of expectations and hopefully through seeing that conversation around like releasing it and allowing yourself to lower your expectations and lower that pressure on yourself, um, it will, yeah expand our options for who we get to be sure I love that well Sarah Jane cannot thank you enough for coming on thrive um in wrapping up I want to ask you what we ask everyone to close out the show which is what does thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life it has it could have nothing to do with the Enneagram also this can just be like Sarah Jane's fave ways to thrive Um, thriving for me is a long three hour morning routine. That is like my happy place. Uh, and then having like work that I'm really passionate about that I'm pouring into and getting to travel and do that work at the same time. Those are, that is where I'm the happiest in the world is a solid morning routine and getting to work in different cafes in different parts of the world. goals. Okay. So do you have a three hour morning routine? Because now you have to spill the beans on what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, uh, it's nuts. Um, mostly I just, you know, I wake up, I do yoga. Um, and then I just have the expectation of, I get on the mat. It doesn't matter what I do, how much I do. I journal, I read a book. Um, and then I make a really good breakfast for myself. That feels really nourishing. And then I get ready for the day and I just, take that and let it spread out <laughs> for as long as it takes. That's awesome. Meditate if I'm feeling up for it. 
Oh yeah. Add all the things into it. Oh, that feels, (laughs) that feels good. Tell everybody where they can find you online to connect with you more, to grab your books. If they are not already following you on Instagram, all the things, all the places. Yeah. Um, please come hang out with me on Instagram. It's at Sarah Jane case. And then my podcast is Enneagram and coffee. I do a podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And, uh, yeah, those are the two most exciting places. And then you can find my books at the honest Enneagram.com or, you know, search it wherever you buy your books. If you have a local bookstore, ask them for it. That's a cool place, but it's also on Amazon, all the good places. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.